0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit, it's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Blue Iron.
2: All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire and this week presented by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Got a debate episode of Big Screen Sports this week and a, a new record for most guests with three. A couple weeks ago, I did a Zoom call with three writers from the Pandemic Baseball Book Club, Jason Turbo, Brad Baluchian and returning guest Anika Oroch. They began the Pandemic Baseball Book Club to help get the word out about their great baseball-related books when the pandemic wiped out promotion opportunities. You guys might remember, uh, I think in April, Anika came on to discuss her book, The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Baseball League, a book that... I I think is incredible. Um, And Jason wrote a book called They Bled Blue, a book about the 1981 Dodgers. And Brad wrote The Wax Pack, a book about tracking down a group of players from a pack of classic Tops baseball cards. Go check out their website, which I'm going to link here in the show notes. You can get their books. You can check out all the other authors at the Pandemic Baseball Book Club. But um, I was talking to them about a, a internal debate they were having about is, uh, is For Love of the Game a good movie, a good baseball movie. I guess a good movie in general. Brad is a huge fan of For Love of the Game. It, like, I, I think... We, we've we had this debate on this podcast before. I think the movie's good. I think it does a great job with the baseball. And I came in prepared to uh, to defend Brad because Anika and Jason are not fans of this movie. And I, I might have been actually convinced the other way. It was... Um... It was a good time. I love just genuinely debating a sports movie's merits one way or another. It's always good to talk Costner. This this is um this is a movie that is very polarizing. It seems like you don't get as much debate when it comes to like a Bull Durham or a um, Field of Dreams or something like that. Although Brad does take a shot at Field of Dreams in this one, but it, it was a fun debate. Everyone, go check out all their books. Uh, and and hope everyone enjoys this. I am looking to do some more episodes just debating the merits of movies like this in the future, so if you like this one, by all means holler. Let me know what other movie deserves some sort of... to be picked apart like this. Also, one thing of note, my audio came in kind of weird for this call. I'm not really sure why, if, um, if you're listening to this podcast for pristine audio quality, uh, you are in the wrong spot. But I, I did what I could. I think it sounds... Just all right, uh, hoping to clear that up on on next week's episode. But again, apologies, but um, that's what we're working with, and you know, Zoom calls a Zoom call. But it, it was a it was a great debate. I enjoyed myself. But um, next week's episode is going to be our non sports movie of the month. That's going to be Crazy Stupid Love. Um, looking looking forward to that one. That that is a cable favorite of mine. Not sure what the plan is for October. Anika had actually suggested doing a Rocktober, doing Rocky-themed episodes every episode uh, next month. So, you know, if if that's something you want, by all means, holler at me via the Big Screen Sports Facebook group or the socials, uh, Twitter, at big underscore screen sport. Maybe might start covering a TV show. I believe Eastbound and Down had won the poll on the uh, on the Facebook group. So if, if the people want Eastbound and Down content, by all means, let me know. Uh, For now, let's get to debating for love of the game with three members of the Pandemic Baseball Book Club. All right, joining me today on today's special debate episode of Big Screen Sports, three members of the Pandemic Baseball Book Club, Anika Orok, Jason Turbo, and Brad Beluchian. Everyone, welcome to Big Screen Sports. Thank Thank
3: you. Thank you, Kyle.
2: Anika, welcome back.
3: Thank you. It's good to be back. A lot has changed since the last time we spoke. Like yeah, everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we were actually allowed to go outside last time we spoke. Um, before we get into today's debate, uh, I think we have a lot to talk about, uh, guys. Tell me, what is the pandemic baseball book club?
4: How did this come about? What do you guys do? Well, since Jason is our uh, self-appointed
5: president for life, he can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> you guys approved me. Uh, yeah, well, it actually started with with Brad and me having an actual real event that was scheduled back when it was a different world and we were allowed to go outside. I was going to interview Brad for, in support of his book at a, at a Bay Area bookshop that got canceled, uh, in the wake of the pandemic. And, and we started thinking about ways to do that event online and realized there were many baseball book authors in our boat. Uh, one of them turns out to be, uh, Anika who's, who's here with us. Um, and without whom this project would, would not be not only as good as it is, but probably not off the ground. Uh, and, and before we knew it, we got tons of baseball book authors and, and we're, we're talking baseball literature week in and week out, more or less since March. It's been pretty great. And, and Brad is unsettled. Brad wants to tour his entire house, which, which is a good thing. This has turned into an episode of Cribs. <laughs> This is
2: great radio. Uh, and so let, let's go one by one. Jason, what is your,
5: you've had a book released
2: since the pandemic started. What is your book? Tell the folks.
5: My book is called They Bled Blue. It is about the 1981 Los Angeles Dodgers championship season. It was out this spring in paperback. Um, so, you know, I, I wasn't doing heavy promotion, but, but doing events with people like Brad and, and, you know, one of our PBBC members, Eric Nussbaum, who has, has another Dodgers book. Um, allowed me to kind of get it out there. Uh, so for the pod, Brad gave us a tour of his house because he went to fetch a beer. Congratulations, Brad.
2: We're, we're going to be doing a callback to your book about the Dodgers when we discuss this movie in a little bit. Uh, Brad, tell the folks about your book.
4: I wrote a great book called The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Profession. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Um, I, <laughs> I wrote a book. You about- wish. <laughs> <laughs> I read that book. Um I wrote a book called The Wax Pack about tracking down all the players in a single pack of baseball cards from 1986 that had never been opened and it's the story of the road trip to find the guys inside. Awesome. And Anika, your wonderful book until yesterday
2: was sitting on like on my uh, entertainment stand. We have packed it cuz we're moving, but it is going to go right back up tell the folks again about your incredible book.
3: Oh, well, congratulations on your move. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it Yeah, uh, it is a, a fully illustrated history. I guess you could call it maybe like a narrative history of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, the women who played um, uh, starting 1943 to 1954 through World War II. Um, most people know it as what the movie A League of Their Own is based on, so I guess that would be a lot of your audience who are sports movie fans. Um yeah, so I, I I collected stories from the women, I you know, interviews, um, headlines, kind of stitched it all together into a narrative and then I and then I drew all over it. <laughs>
2: and how can everyone find your books and where can they check out the pandemic baseball book club?
5: Pbbclub.com. Uh one one of our prime motivations is to drive traffic to independent bookshops. Uh to that end, we have links to bookshop.org, which is connected to IndieBound. Uh, on our site. You can buy any of our collective books at the site with a, a portion of the proceeds going to independent bookshops.
1: For some reason it's really
4: hard to say pbbclub.com. It is.
5: I'm very happy I got
4: it out.
2: That's just because you've been drinking. Okay, so let's get into today's mission for the episode, why you guys are all on a sports movie podcast. Apparently in in your in your private debates in the pandemic baseball book club debates uh you guys have been talking about basically is for love of the game good and it's it's very interesting i've had an episode in the past with with another person who wanted to basically just discuss that this movie is good and why it's good cuz it it does get some hate what is the Brad if you want to start oh go ahead
4: can we can we recast this as is this movie great
2: oh no i mean well, Brad, you're going to get the chance to say your piece. Where, what, what was the origin of of this debate? When did this start between the three of you? Because I've I've sensed a considerable amount of hostility while we scheduled this You, you
5: referred
4: to the R O W. I don't know if that's pronounced row or row. I've never known um, as being private, but it actually went very public, stemming from a. Uh, Pandemic Baseball Book Club Question of the Week of what your favorite baseball movie is. And I very earnestly and sincerely opened my heart to explain why I loved For Love of the Game and got shat on by uh, Anika and Jason and others. And so that opened up the very public discussion of why this movie is great or not. That one small word, others, is such an understatement.
3: Others is an Yeah. First
2: and foremost, the only right answer to that question is is Bull Durham, but I, I want to start this out. I want it, Brad, Brad, since you said for love of the game, go
5: ahead, Jason. Uh, one person in that question of the week answered Bull Durham as favorite baseball movie, and you're looking at him. I mean, you have very good taste. Thank you. Uh,
2: you get, this is the best. Anika, your, your favorite baseball movie is very good, too, but we're here to talk about Brad. Apparently, it's all about Brad tonight. Uh, Brad, on a typical episode of this podcast, I ask my guest, is the movie we're discussing a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer? And why? So I I open the floor to you. What is for love of the game and why? Okay.
4: Uh exhibit A is my folder of show notes, which you can see is approximately three-quarters of an inch thick, with all of my uh notes for tonight about for love of the game. Um
3: and That's not real. I
4: would, I would say that for love of the game is Hall of Fame. Okay, you got to give us
2: more than that, though. You, you got to give us a reason. You, you're here to lay. You're here to lay out your case. If for love of the game is your defendant, you need to. You need to acquit them.
4: Allow me to go to my opening statement. Um, so,
3: is this real? Those are really notes. Okay, wait. This. This is a podcast, so people won't be able to see this. But let me just let me just describe very briefly what Brad has in front of him. It's a Manila folder that is honestly at least a half inch thick, and he pulled out a page, and all I could see was typewritten, and it was full. It wasn't like a paragraph; it was a full typewritten page, and that was one of the pages. Yeah, okay. Single um, space. Yeah.
4: So allow me to make my case. So. This
5: movie was appalling, Anika. Wait till (laughs) you hear Brad's opening statement.
4: So I think we have to start with the premise that movies like literature are art, right? They're not science. And so there's a certain degree of subjectivity that goes into this discussion. And I would like to note that we're not discussing right here what we think our favorite movie is, which is very clearly subjective. We're talking about what is the greatest baseball movie of all time. And I'm here to argue that, in fact, For Love of the Game is the greatest baseball movie of all time. And, you know, I think when you look at when you when you try to figure out what's what the greatest is, again, there is a certain degree of subjectivity that goes into that because we're not arguing what movie has the best film editing or the best cinematography. We're we're getting at this sort of abstract notion of greatest. And so. The caveat here is that you know all of us, when we go into taking in a piece of art, we bring with us our own cumulative life experiences and those life experiences shape our response to a piece of art. And so I recognize that Jason and Anika, because they have different life experiences, may react differently to For Love of the Game. But uh, I'm gonna make a case in five reasons why, from my perspective for love of the game is the greatest baseball movie of all time the first is that really for love of the game is captures the entire meaning of life that's how profound its depth is
2: that's a lot deeper of a first point than i was expecting if we're being honest i thought it was just going to be like oh kevin
4: coster is really good <laughs>
2: well i would
4: i would say that the meaning of life is is love and Love is both loving yourself and loving other people. And um, the opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. And this book is about accepting fear to the point where you are able to live your life in a loving way. That's how profound For Love of the Game is. And to show you what I mean by that, it's what what For Love of the Game really is about is very much like the wax pack. It's about vulnerability. And it is a realistic, well-acted depiction of its two main characters' ability and willingness to finally open up and be vulnerable to each other. And so what I think is so, on this first point, what's so great about it is that in a lot of rom-coms like this, you know, at least one of the lead characters that ultimately falls in love is looking for that right? It's sort of looking for love and meaning meaningful connection. And what I love about this movie is that both of the two leads Jane played by the great Kelly Preston and uh, Billy Chapel, played by Kevin Costner. Both of them start the movie in a place where they're really not looking for, for love. They're actually very happy in their lives. You know, he's this hall of fame pitcher. She's this successful editor for Elle magazine, um, you know, raising a single child. And in fact, the whole movie, the the storyline between the two of them plays out as a series of them basically protecting themselves and then little by little opening up, lowering their guard, hurting each other in ways that I think are actually pretty realistic to a lot of romantic relationships where it's not this, you know, I mean, from the very beginning, they're kind of, they're kind of protecting themselves, you know, so you have this beginning you know the very beginning when he comes and sees her car broken down on the side of the road and her first reaction is to put her hand up and say like go away right and then they, they get together they have sex and it's gonna is it gonna be this one night stand and then they, they make a date for their next date and she almost doesn't show up because she's so worried she's so protective of herself and then you know they they go out they start seeing each other sort of casually And then Billy kind of lowers his guard and and invites her down to spring training and kind of shows some vulnerability only to have her reject him and hurt him. But then he goes off and bangs the masseuse and then she shows up unannounced and hurts his and, and he hurts her feelings because she sees the masseuse that he just banged. And then from there... Uh, you know, it's
3: Sorry. More- <laughs> I just love that we're talking about these like really in depth. Brad is taking like a real raw, vulnerable approach to this movie, but then he's using <laughs> the words. then he
2: talks about Billy Chapel taking down the masseuse. Since Brad has five points,
3: one
2: <laughs> Since Brad has five points, instead of him instead of him laying out all five of these. And, and then I think, I think Anika and Jason need to be able to give their rebuttals point by point. Brad, do you have more on your, your first first point?
4: That's a good uh, ad lib because you're right. So just to, to wrap up the first point, the, the plot points in this movie are all about them hurting each other, letting their guard down, but finally being vulnerable. And ultimately, what, how the movie ends is so brilliant because you know, they're kind of estranged from each other. And then Billy, you know, the thing, the one thing that Billy knows how to do is, is, you know, play baseball. That's where he's safe. And that's where he's protected. And he goes out there and he does know how to basically fully immerse himself and expose himself to his fears in baseball. And he's able to do that, to believe in himself, to, to throw the perfect game. And then right after he's done the most amazing accomplishment you can have as a pitcher, he realizes it's not good enough because and he's there's that that so I cried six times in this movie and the sixth time was when he's sitting on his hotel bed after the perfect game and rather that should be the 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 you know highlight of his life and instead he's sitting there sobbing because he realizes that baseball is not life that in the that within the confines of baseball he can be vulnerable but he's too scared to to his his fear has too much of a grip on him to be real and vulnerable with Jane with the you know this this woman he has this relationship with and it's not until that moment that he has that epiphany and then he goes and finds her in the airport and finally lets his guard down enough to take a chance on their relationship so all of that is to say that this movie is about much more than baseball it's about fear it's about love and in that sense Movies like Bull Durham and Field of Dreams, which get into, really are more insular in their scope about baseball. They're, they're not as
2: ambitious as this film. So, listeners of this podcast will know that I am a a big softy. I love a good sports movie cry, but this is not one of those movies. So, you saying you cried six times has me like, because like I love a good movie cry, like. <laughs> I I I get teared up in like a Knight's Tale, but this ain't it. Uh, Come on, Kyle. It, it's interesting that you went with this as point one because I would say that in the sports movie, the sports movie debate about this one, I think the romantic subplot of this movie is what gets criticized the most. I mean, like obviously, R.I.P. Kelly Preston. This uh, this isn't. This isn't her most beloved role for a lot of people, Uh, Jason. I want to I want to turn it over to you first on Brad's. What do you think of the the romantic plot subplot of For Love of the Game? How did that
5: How did that strike with you? I will say that the movie Brad described sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) I think I want to
3: see it. I would see it.
5: Took those bones for a movie and had halfway competent production, you could make something of that. But, but if you gave this movie to to like the assistant undersecretary of creating Hallmark cards, you would end up with the final product. They in- incredible. Emotional fruit every single time. There was not a moment wasted when they did not try and just yank your heartstrings in the cheesiest possible way. You know... Kevin Costner sitting on his bed crying was actually a scene that I I thought about this at. You know, he just threw this perfect game. The movie is told, you know, flashbacks. During, During the perfect game, he keeps flashing back to his relationship. And he's sitting there weeping. And I realized, holy shit, the crappy Disney soundtrack music that is playing underneath this scene has been playing underneath every scene. It's been one long crescendo through this entire movie and I, it just washes I believe, out. I,
4: I believe you're referring to basil polidorus's score which i take exception to you describing as uh, disney whatever
5: crappy disney soundtrack sorry basil no per, no no personal offense <laughs> i sure you're a very nice person
3: do you know basil brad
5: <laughs> but let's also look at the romantic construct because like you say Costner meets Kelly Preston on the side of the road while her car is broken down. Uh, she is on her way to bear mountain for the weekend because she has to get out of town. I mean, forget that Costner is driving a Porsche while he's on the road with his team. Like why would you ever rent a car with your team when you're bused everywhere and you're just, you're in New York and have a game that night. Um, and let alone the fact he's the last of the tigers to show up for the game, but she's on the side of the road, kicking her car. He stops Literally not another, not another car passes them for the duration of their conversation until the tow truck arrives. I'm thinking about Kelly Preston as this kind of woman who would go to Bear Mountain for the weekend and the kind of woman who would spend the night with a ball player the first night she meets him. And then halfway through the movie, she's like, oh, I got to go take care of my kid who's home alone. Wait a minute. What is happening here? You want to build up these situations and these scenes with with literally no tether to reality. And she, she's she's a journalist who lives in a gigantic apartment in Manhattan with her daughter in with which always has a fire going in the fireplace and there's no messes. And her, her daughter was with her was with her dad when the, she was going to Bear Mountain. Come on, just, you know, put one and one together. Her daughter fled to her dad and it drove Kelly Preston to pieces. Are you kidding me? And he was
3: he's stoned all the time and he lives in Massachusetts. Like she can't just like drop her off.
2: I just need to point out the best part of the, the towing scene of the, the car broke down scene is that the mechanic is Dom from Entourage, but uh Anika, I, I'll kick it to you on the, did the romantic subplot of this movie hit for you? That was, that was the best part of the movie. <laughs> Dom from Entourage. That's the first time that Dom from Entourage has been the best part of anything. I, when, I hope you guys. Dom. All... I hope Dom and all... Costner all...
3: under a car. I'm sorry. sorry.
4: Ted from Breaking Bad and uh, the guy from Lost in there as well. There were some great cameos in there.
3: Yes, all from high quality productions. <laughs>
4: just... Well, that's just a launching pad for their careers because it was so great.
3: It's more like a like a mini tramp.
2: <laughs> Anika, did the romantic subplot hit for you?
3: I'm trying to figure out where I can begin and end without just like okay.
2: I didn't think we'd be starting with the romantic subplot of this movie. It's very much like a, a C like the a, a very mid tier part of aspect of this movie for me.
3: Well, OK, that's just it that I think you have just made the point of all points that as far as like the tears of, of <laughs> not your kind of tears, Brad tears, <laughs> like <laughs> um it is it it is. Not the, you know, but here's the point is that it's almost entirely a romantic movie. The entire premise is based on a relationship and like Brad is saying, vulnerability and love. And those are the points that are supposed to be made, but we all think of the romantic part, as you're saying, Kyle, as like really the secondary at best thing to focus on, which... I think that says everything. But okay, let me just say that Brad, I I I have much respect for the way that you see the movie. And you're right; we all have these like personal reasons. Like my my favorite movie of all time, baseball or not. Or, well, there is no baseball in it, but is uh, is essentially a Christmas movie that was like hated for 20 years because it was on, on television all the time and made fun Wait, of. It's my it a, It's a Wonderful it a- Life is my.
4: Oh, it's not The Family Man?
3: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Okay, let's <laughs> stay on track here. Let's stay on track here. Um, but, you know, and and maybe people hate that movie for various reasons. It's my favorite. I have emotional connections to it. Fine. Here's the thing. I love all those points. And I can when I hear you talk about it, I feel like that's the director in the room telling everyone how he sees this film being played out. And it just so royally missed, like there, it's missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity. In my mind, I feel like the production, it, I feel like had the directing and the acting, just even those two things, been above subpar, those points would have been made and that movie could have been made. But here's the problem is that I couldn't feel emotionally connected to anything because I couldn't get 30 seconds into anything and feel something. I, I could even get past inconsistencies. Like, where the hell did this daughter come from? And why were you going to take off to the mountains? And you were just going to move to London? Like, you have a daughter. You know, like, there are inconsistencies that even that I could get past if, if I could feel something. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm a story person. Like, and stories, to me, the, the great stories, whatever they are, require... Sincerity and authenticity and emotional connection. They require that human emotional thing that makes you feel something. And I, Kyle, I'm like you, like I will cry at everything. I I have, and I will probably do it again even though I've seen it a million times. I've cried at episodes of The Office, at episodes of Parks and Rec, like things that are not even really meant to be cried at, but I've-
2: Same and same, yeah.
3: I've cried at commercials. I have, I have cried at commercials. I've cried. There's an account on Instagram called the dodo. It's like little animal, like rescue animal videos daily. I cried daily, like a three-legged dog who was just adopted by like some, you know, whatever I will cry. Um, but this, I just like, I couldn't, man, I just couldn't. And there, like, there are two scenes that completely did it for me. Music aside, by the way, like Jason saying, sorry, with Basil. apologies to Basil. Yeah, with, with, I don't know, apologies for being not very good at, well, whatever. Anyway, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the thing there, okay. So now three things, three things I couldn't get past. In the music, the, the excessive use of the electric guitar riff whenever something changes, if it's not sappy as shit, and suddenly it's cool, like, clear the mechanism. But
2: to be fair, that's the 90s. That wasn't just Basil. That
5: was the 90s talking. Well, hold on a bit, Kyle. I, I actually took this note um, while I watched it. This was a movie in the 90s with a soundtrack that was made in the 80s. It sounded like 80s, <laughs> crappy 80s music. It was stuck in this 90s movie that was already outdated by the time it was released. It's got some Major League notes.
3: But Major League is a comedy. Fair point. I feel like use of guitar riffs, in my mind, I equate that with a little bit of, like, uh, it's a little bit amusing. There's there's amusement to the heavy use of, like, you know, like, for, like El Kabong is a cartoon. Like, that's how I think of it is. Uh, so that that, for me, was, like, really hard to get past, especially because, also, the sound mixing. And... I actually tried it. I was watching it on my iPad and I thought maybe the sound is messed up because I'm watching on my iPad and I moved it into like the television with the good sound. And there are moments where the music just comes in and it's like, like there's, there's supposed to be conversation. And then all of a sudden it's like, and just like, uh, like it it was really distracting. Um, Okay, so there are two actual scenes and then there's one actual dynamic that I really had trouble with. The two scenes are the like really horrible meant to be Calvin Klein for men perfume scene. And and this is a prime example of the real extreme emotional close-ups lasting way too long. And I know that there's an effect to be like, had there. But when Kevin Costner is like staring into the distance and then looking this way, and then looking this way, and then looking this way for like 45 seconds. It's like, give me something. Like where, what are you looking at? Are you talking about the
5: scene where he's sniffing her perfume?
3: Where he's sniffing her perfume and clearly missing her. But it's like, why are you shirtless? Why are you in the bathroom? Why is the lighting all warm and foggy? Why are you smelling it for like 45 seconds? And then you're smelling again. And then you're like- It's, it's
5: 39 seconds, right? Actually timed that scene. It was 39 seconds. He sniffed her so, perfume for 39 seconds. It was
4: horrible! Look, I'm a reasonable guy. I will grant you that was not a good scene. I
2: came into this episode like fully prepared to back up Brad and being like, you know, this movie has a lot about it. And then he led with the most questionable aspect of the movie is his main point. And I'm just flabbergasted. Like it's like, you, like when you, if you go into a debate with someone and they start talking about something that you did not have on your prep sheet at all, like that's where I'm at right now. Like I just, I got lost. I, I, I can't, Brad, I cannot believe that, that that, cause there's a lot to like about this movie. I would love to talk about it at some point, but you led with the most questionable suspect aspect of this movie this movie this movie has like three really from a baseball perspective has three really strong pitches and you decided to focus on the fringe change that they're working on in the bullpen that they never throw
4: in the games i i recognize yeah. i recognize that this is in the unpopular defense of the movie and i know bill the bill simmons argument of oh if they just took out the romantic plot it would be a great movie and i'm going to get to the other stuff but I, I'm going to, I'm going to stick by my guns here. And in fact, uh, Brennan J on Rotten Tomatoes on February 23rd, 2013 called this quote, the best movie I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to watch it again right now. And John G said, I've watched it 100 times or more. So.
2: Oh my God. Well, if Brent, if Brennan J and John G say it, then I mean, what are we even doing here? <laughs> there are just, read,
3: there. just read Roger Ebert's, uh, uh, and Leonard Malton's review. Wait, okay. I'm sorry to. Do... Oh, go ahead,
5: Jason. Can I just disagree with you, Kyle? You're coming out strong here. It's not like the changeup that they only throw in the bullpen and never use in the game. They went to this changeup repeatedly, over and over through the, game, and it <laughs> got hammered hard.
2: There. <laughs> All right. Before we get to the rest of Brad, hold on. Before we get to the rest of Brad's points, let's we're we're at the. Let's take an ad break. Let's all regroup. Let's have a drink. And then we're going to get back with Brad's points. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account anytime, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your choice that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. If you sponsor a job and you put it on my feed, I'm probably giving it a look. Uh, with 73% of online job seekers having visited Indeed over each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering big screen sports listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply, offer valid through September 30th. Big Screen Sports is always sponsored as always by our old friends at betonline.ag. The wait is finally over, football is back. So is gambling. So is me losing money on the Cowboys money line, which just happened as I'm recording this ad. But uh, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. Game spreads, totals, team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on season opening bonuses today. Start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we are we are back from our from a, a much needed ad break. Anika, I, I want to kick it to you uh, before we get into more of Brad Brad's points. I think you had something more about the. The romantic subplot of this movie.
3: Well, okay, <sighs> women and baseball. There's, there's a that's a whole different relationship, and that has been uh, very interestingly represented in film. I think, uh, oddly enough, even though Bull Durham, I feel like there's like some definite stereotyping there. Susan Sarandon is is a is a likable character, and she's got. A different kind of confidence and strength. Not to bring in another movie, but here's the thing that I, I just like. I I felt like, as far as baseball movies go, and again, rest in peace, Kelly Preston. But man, I I wanted to freaking like just slap her. Like I, I get that there's I get that there's vulnerability, but here's the thing: I'm a woman, and I know how this shit goes. And I don't think she was vulnerable. I think there was a vulnerability in that she had a daughter and maybe she was a little skeptical and she had obviously had some sort of bad relationship. But what I saw was her being like just a really annoyingly manipulative woman and needy. And just like the whole like, okay, the conversation with spring training when she calls, she's like, well, I just don't know. And I just, you know, she puts up the whole, I'm not like that. Okay, and also lines like this, I don't screw like that. <laughs> and then the line when he pulls over when her car's broken down and and like the whole, oh, no, no, no. It was, what about, and then when she shows up for spring training and and there's the whole, well, what about like, I do my thing, you do your thing, we're not going to obsess, we're not going to. She goes, I was, that was a lie. I was trying to be the man. it was like, oh, my God. But she's, the the conversation with like, well, I don't know if I want to come down. And then he's like, okay, well then fine. Don't come down. And she's like, oh, wait, 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 Let's start over. Let's start over. That whole thing, that drives me crazy. And she was just like, it, it drove me crazy. I just thought she was like a needy, clingy, hot and cold, manipulative. And he was just being him. And then he tells her to get lost and she goes and cries, but then she comes running back. But I, the, the scene where he cuts his hand that was the one that really did me in where I was like, this is no longer even slightly believable. That was like two guys with an iPhone being like, okay, man, now you're going to come out of the snow and the blood's going to be spurting and you're going to stumble. That was like <laughs> the worst, the worst thing ever. And then to see her like cut across and like snow sprays, but the road is clear. There's no snowbanks in the road, but she has to like hit one for effect. And the whole airport thing, like I'm going, I'm not going. It, it just, I got so tired of her. I could hardly stand it. And then the worst part was that when she's actually crying, when he pitches the perfect game, she's not actually crying. Like you can't even work up a real tear. It's like a full on Elmer's glue line down her cheek. It just. I
2: think the, I think it comes down to, and you mentioned Saran and you mentioned Bull Durham. When you leave, when you leave Bull Durham, you know that that crash and Annie have just electric chemistry and you fully expect them to be together for the next 20, 30 years following crash and his managerial career to all these little minor league towns, eventually making it to the show. You don't have any confidence that Costner and Kelly Preston are going to be together in a year, just none. And they just don't have that chemistry. So with that, Brad, your first point took about 30 minutes So uh, let's turn the page. Let's go to the next. Give me something that I can defend you with here. Help me help you, Brad.
4: (laughs) I just want to clarify that to summarize my first point, it was not really the romantic subplot. It was that this movie explains the meaning of life, which is even more ambitious than, than we are describing it. And that's how profound it is.
2: That's why life is so sad. (laughs)
3: <laughs> okay Brad I have a I have a challenge for you I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt but you I know that you are um, rather savvy in the online dating world mm-hmm. and I think you've mentioned a few times that like there are things like there are questions that you put on your dating profile and depending on like silly things like for instance what is one of them like personalized license plates or something you know there are like things that
4: that's my weed out question like right off the bat
3: yeah. a weed out question that's what you call it okay yeah. I challenge you to just put on your profile that you think for love of the game is the greatest baseball movie of all time.
4: I guarantee you that'll, that'll do well.
3: (laughs) With what kind of women? (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just challenging you to put it on there. I'm really curious what happens. and, And
4: the entire extent of my current dating profile says proud owner of a VCR if I put a semicolon and put, and for love of the game is the one VHS that I own, we can really do a
5: test here. So I'm willing to do that experiment and report okay. back. Okay. Hey, hey, Kyle, before before I move on to Brad's second opus point. Yeah. I, I, before I move too far off of Kelly Preston, um, in order to get the female perspective in my life, I watched this with my entire family, my, my teenage son. Oh. My, so now, not just you, your entire family's mad at me now. They are, they, honestly, they all are. Um, one of my wife's comments halfway through was, they, re- they really <laughs> wanted Meg Ryan for this role, but could not afford her. And this is what they ended up
4: with. <laughs> oh, that's tough. Very smart woman. I, I got to give her...
3: I said that same thing!
2: <laughs> Meg Ryan would have been really good in this movie.
3: I said Ooh. that exact same thing. And there was a moment, I don't remember what the moment was, but there was a moment where I was like, man, they were going for sleepless in Seattle, but they like slid right past it and off the road.
2: She would have been coming right off. You've got mail too. She still would have been, Oh God, what could have been? Okay. Brad, you, Brad, you need to come with something good for the second point, or we're going to have to end this podcast in a, in a, like a knockout.
4: Really, uh, this movie, of all baseball, it has the most realistic, entertaining, and creatively shot baseball of any baseball movie. Let's
2: fucking go, Brad. That's the shit I needed 30 minutes ago. That's that's the direction we need to go. That's what we need to talk about.
3: Vince yeah, Kelly like should have been mentioned, like, an hour ago.
4: I'm, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm so, yeah, this, I mean, the the way I just love the way they use the obviously the announcers Steve Lyons and Vince Scully the replay the shooting the film like as it appears on the TV um, the interplay between Billy Chapelle and the hitter I mean I think a lot of well and the realism Kevin Costner just knows how to fucking throw a pitch
2: yes he is the best movie actor athlete of all time Brad you the you 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 left your best points on the bench this was Buck Showalter. You left Zach Britton in the bullpen. I mean, the jury, the jury zoned out twenty minutes ago. In their head, your movie has been convicted of murder. Going, I mean, this movie, the '90s game presentation is is just stellar because you they they got Fox, they got Vin Scully, who is just, I mean, and, and Jason knows this better than just a gem. He's just the best. Vin Scully's the best, and he is flawless you get those incredible shots of old yankee stadium it they get actual minor leaguers to be the extras to be the background characters like it is the best movie depiction of mlb baseball that has ever been without a doubt without a doubt and we're only 40 minutes in and and we got to it incredible stuff so it's
4: not and on top of that the (laughs) <laughs> a lot like you know, a lot of the like the Nuke Lelouch wind up is terrible in Bull Durham, you know, the 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 scenes of the guys talking on the field, like this is this is good stuff because you like okay, I will argue that Crash Davis and Billy Chapel are not that different actually as characters. And so if you're gonna love Bull Durham, you better love I mean if you love uh Crash Davis, you better love uh Billy Chapel because yeah. Costner he has perfected that slightly arrogant, dickish, you know, but charming and aloof veteran ball player, right? And he just there's so many. I mean, I'm gonna mix my points here a little bit. So many, I mean, so many good lines in this movie. Like the the dialogue is actually pretty good. For example, uh, when Frank Perry, the manager, comes to take him out of the game. And, you know, in, like, the seventh or eighth. And, you know, he's like, I want you to pat my ass. Leave me in the game. And then Perry was walking by. He's like, where's my pat? Like, just good deadpan humor. Um, Frank Perry,
2: played by Oscar winner J.K. Simmons. They have a great... This movie has a great of... of they have a pretty good... Like, Costner is the best you can get for a baseball movie. I will watch anything he's in. J.K. Simmons, Oscar winner, fantastic and everything. Um... Uh, Name name is yeah John C Riley incredible range can't and it is surprisingly like when you see this for the first time I saw this at an age where I saw this after I had seen Talladega Nights and so I was like oh I don't know if this is for me and then he is very good John C Riley is excellent like John C Riley. The incredible thing about him is he is in a movie like this, a movie like Boogie Nights, and a movie like Talladega Nights. And he's really good in all three, doing three very different things. He's fantastic.
4: And the movie, it captures a lot of nuance about baseball really well. Like, the, I mean, in all seriousness, like having talked, done my book, and talked to all these players for the Wax Pack, some of the things that come up, like where in the beginning, when he's talking to John C. Riley and he's like, Um, and, and, or Gus, the character Gus is like, how long has it been hurting? And he's like, my shoulder is not hurt. And he's like, so how long has it been hurting? Like, like that kind of thing where you don't show that you're hurt, you know, all that stuff is very real. And and so I think they captured a lot of the, the relationships between baseball players and how baseball players, you know, try to protect themselves like really well in all these little subplots. And like, you know, it's a little bit cheesy, but I love the thing with with his friend Birch, who now plays for the Yankees. And, you know, he says, like, I'll miss you the most, Scarecrow, you know, when he's, when he, towards the end of the game. Uh, that line with between him and Jane, when he says, she says, do you lose very much? And he says, I lose. I've lost 134 times. And she says, you count them? Like, that's good writing. Mm-hmm. Jason,
2: I want to kick it to you. What are your thoughts on the actual, the baseball, the in-between-the-lines
5: in this movie? So... I went into this movie hoping that Brad would prove me wrong. And for the first, you know, unknown number of minutes, I was thinking, oh, maybe he's right and I'm wrong because it's a baseball scene. It's a pretty good baseball scene, right? The baseball is good. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't look like actors on a ball field. Costner is more or less capable of playing a pitcher. I mean, I agree he's the best actor as baseball player out there. Um, you know, Ricky Ledeh. Yankee legend was in this movie. I don't know how. I just saw his name in the credits. Um, they got a bunch of mi- they pulled a bunch of minor leaguers for it. Yeah. yeah. And so they started talking and it all went to hell and, and I'm sorry, Brad, but the dialogue was not good. The dialogue between ballplayers was not good. Um, the where's my pat line was good. You, you picked the one good one. I'll give you that. Um, but you know, let me find this on my page. Um, he's out there feeling tired on the mound And and I'm going to paraphrase here, but John C. Riley, his catcher is out there going, come on, we believe in you. You can do it. We're here for you. And that's his pep talk. And it it goes right back to the Hallmark card. And it, it made me want to vomit.
2: Jason, I I have to, I have to, I have to counter your point here. Cause when the, when John C. Riley comes out and he gives the, we don't stink right now speech, that, for me, is the best part of the movie. The, the We don't stink right now. We're the best team in baseball right now. We're going to back you up. That is So this movie is very much... It is kind of like an early incarnation of the Gavin O'Connor style of sports movie, which he did Miracle, he did Warrior, he did The Way Back, that recent Affleck movie, that is built on getting the chills. In a Gavin O'Connor movie, like in Miracle... And Miracle and Warrior are far better movies than this movie, but it is built on giving you the chills multiple times in the movie and making you care, and that for me, that we don't stink right now speech gives me the chills a ton. I get the chills a couple times in this movie, which is tough to do for a movie that doesn't have me like fully bought in. But I will say that speech and a couple of the others are one of the things this movie does really well.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you might have just hit it. You know, I, I like Miracle. Um, I thought that was a good movie, even though it you know hits many of the tropes I personally don't like. I'm not a big Hollywood movie kind of guy, but, but I thought that was a good movie within the Hollywood construct. It felt like this was kind of a, a, a pale imitation of that. It was trying to hit those notes. It was trying really hard to hit those notes and overtly and, and making no bones about it, its endeavors to, to hit those exact same notes. And I think it, it just fell short. Um, I will quote my wife, not, not the movie here, in the middle of it, the music is vomitous and the words are terrible. The music is what? Vomitous.
4: Oh, and the, and the words are terrible?
5: I, I, I can't remember if that was in reference to a love dialogue or a baseball dialogue. But, but when, 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 you, when you pump up the dialogue as, as excellent, I just, I just see it as such a bald-faced attempt to pull at heart, heartstrings. And it turned me off. Anika, what do you think about the baseball in this one?
3: Well, I agree that the baseball itself is definitely more believable than, than here's the thing that there are so many elements to making a film. Okay. If you're making a film about a relationship, okay. You have to have Understanding about relationships, and there has to be things that ring true that you identify with. It's almost like a comedian getting up and telling jokes, and the best jokes are the ones that are like, Oh my God, that's so true. Like, that's why Jerry Seinfeld is successful. He points out those like weird little random things that we all understand. I think you have to hit on that with, you know, say you're making a romantic movie. Okay, you have to hit on that in some way or another. If you're making a sports movie, there has to be that same element of believability. You have to, it's a tricky thing. You have to be able to convince fans of that sport, people who, who know that sport. And you also have to entertain people who don't know that sport. So that's a tricky balance. And you can't like, you can't get way too into the baseball thing to the point where people who don't understand baseball are like, well, I don't understand this movie, you know? So I think they did an okay job with, with that, but for me, it, it's it's <laughs> it's not. Watch, you're not watching a baseball game. You're watching a movie. So the believability factor has to be fluid, and it has to be consistent. So my skewed view of the whole film and my like constant eye rolling, I think, really affected. I I, I I had to pause and go into each scene. I'm not kidding. Literally going into each scene trying to take it for what it was and not let the scene before it or everything else that was happening affect how I thought of it. So the baseball parts, the big takeaways for me were 100% Vin Scully. And here's the thing is that Vin Scully, I think was the best actor in the movie. Vin Scully and the bartender in the airport bar to me were the best (laughs) actors in the movie. And that is not saying a whole lot for everybody else, but that... Vin Scully, that's the best part is that he was Vin Scully. He wasn't a Hollywood adaptation or imitation of Vin Scully. So the whole speech about like, maybe he can push the sun up into the sky once again, like that whole speech.
2: That just gave me the chills. Just you saying that, like, I was like, oh my God, Vince Scully.
3: That's the one thing that gave me the chills. And here's why. I wasn't sure because the way he said it, And because he is who he is, I wasn't sure if that was written into the movie or if Vin Scully maybe ad-libbed that because that would be believable. And that was the most believable part of the movie to me because it was him and that's something that he might actually say and that's something that might actually get me choked up. Listening to him tell stories, I mean, I'm a Giants fan. The Dodgers are our, our nemeses, but I will follow Vince Scully to the ends of the earth. I will, I, that, I miss him so much because I miss Giants Dodgers series where I could toggle back and forth with radio broadcasts. That's how effective he is. So for them to, use, I mean, and I read that they had like a $50 million budget and they lost a shitload of money on this movie. And I hope they gave like 20 million of that to Vince Scully because he was, he was the baseball part of that movie to me. And there are camera tricks that can be done. There are things, you know, like I did find it kind of silly that every time Billy Chapel threw a strike, the batter was like, like huffing and puffing and staring him down and flipping his bat. Like you've had a strike before, just go sit down, you know, <laughs> like, like they were just so angry at him every time, like he was that good. Um, but everything else, you know, it was fine. And it was believable. And I do like that every ballpark scene took place in yankee stadium because it's kind of iconic and it's where the story takes place even though he's a detroit tiger and you know i like that dynamic but yeah i think as far as baseball goes uh vin scully was it and the bartender i liked her (laughs) i thought she was the most believable particularly female but the most believable character in that movie
2: brad point two went over a lot better than point three so what, uh, or then, then point one. So what is, what is point three? What, what else do you have for us defending this
4: move? I feel like we've already talked about the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> having the Detroit, having a pitcher at the end of the line in a, in a meaningless game for his team and that team being the Detroit Tigers is goddamn brilliant <laughs> and more ballsy than most, baseball movies are willing to be, right? The fact that, I mean, this is what I thought, like the whole, let's not underappreciate the decision that's there in the beginning of the game, which is, do you retire or not? Do you accept the trade to the Giants or do you retire? And I, again, what I love about back to the vulnerability argument is that Billy Chapel eight and 11 with a 3.55 ERA in the 97 season after a 19 year career traded to the Giants decides that he, rather than be a shell of himself, he is willing to, to welcome in the fear, the vulnerability of of going on to whatever comes next in his life at age 40, uh, not doing what he knows and what comes easy to him, which is baseball, but actually deciding for love of the game, that he's going to retire. And I think that that's something that every athlete, every baseball player has to face. And I really liked the backstory of Billy's dad having been a player and the owner, Gary Wheeler, you know, being a family business. But now, and and they're really intertwined. And I think, you know, that's a subplot that was very strong in the sort of baseball side of things. You mentioned the owner
2: Gary Wheeler, who is played by Brian Cox, aka Logan Roy from Succession. This movie—it's very fun to think about what this movie is like if Logan Roy owns the Tigers and he's just playing boar on the floor with all the bad players. I that that would be that would be joyous. Um, I, I I will concede that point. I think the tig- I guess the Tigers were good like. It's a good. I think it is. It's funny the. The most recent episode of this podcast covered Everybody's All-American, which is another movie that has a great premise and it just doesn't land. But it's about an athlete just uh, dealing like the the toughest thing for any athlete to deal with is age. Uh, It's every athlete deals with it. It comes for everyone. Um, It's a it's a struggle and it's it's a it was a good theme for this movie to tackle. Um, I would have liked to have seen more more of that. Uh, Jason, what
5: are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like Brad's previous points, it sounds good. I mean, I, I, I'm i behind it. If, if, if it was executed with a modicum of, of believability, it would have been better. Um, but having him be a tiger was fine. Having him be at, at the end of the line was fine. I mean, you talk about his, his parents, his, his dad being a ball player. He's there throwing a perfect game, and he gazes off into the upper deck, and there in the ghostly white light is his mom and his dad staring down at him so peacefully with again the crescendo crappy disney strings behind them you guys have hearts of stone oh my goodness
3: in black and white though like
2: <sighs> i that's the thing it was it was throwing all those big chill darts at the board and unlike a movie i'm just going to reference the god gavin o'connor again unlike miracle and warrior where almost every time he throws a, a a chill dart at the board, it almost always hits. In this movie, like some of those darts hit the board, and then some of them hit the waitress who's bringing drinks to someone. Like it's it's a variety of dart accuracy in this movie. And, like yeah, that's one that just that
4: doesn't hit. I applaud them for trying though. Can, can you check to see if Anika and Jason have a pulse right now? I just want to want to make sure they're. Yeah, they're oh, accurate. don't
3: don't do not turn my my. Yeah. yeah, don't 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 turn my exceptional understanding of of good film into <laughs> me hey, being a heartless jerk.
2: Brad, what is point four? What do you have for us with your fourth on your thesis?
4: Are your notes longer than your book? <laughs> <laughs> I've honestly had to, you know, um, kind of adjust on the fly based on the response. So I've, I've mixed and matched a bit of my arguments and I'm going to not even go to some of them because I just know how it's going to get received, um, by this extremely, um, I just, you know, I am a little disenchanted with, with my fellow panelists ability to detect, um, emotion in a story and, and uh, you know, Okay, to- wait,
3: time out. <laughs> okay, go ahead. But then I have a response to that that is very <laughs> important. Go ahead.
4: Well,
2: let's no, I, I think Anika, Anika, you go ahead because Brad's about to hit us with another point that's gonna take us to a completely different direction.
3: Here's the thing.
2: Mm, the
4: third thing.
3: <laughs> right, but 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 here's the thing is that um Emotion to me is translated through sincerity. And, and when you, I'm sorry, but I feel like the emotional moments in this film, like Kyle is saying, it's like throwing a dart and missing. And to me, it's partially insulting. But if, you know, if the intentions are there, that's great. But Why if insulting? it's... Because they're, they're, they're trying to, it's almost like a fight trying, like someone trying to hit you below the belt. It's like all the tropes are there. I, I, baseball movies are, are filled with things that could be cliche. Some of them are sappy, but when you get those emotional parts that are real, that's what you're hitting on. That's what you're, that's what you're building on. That's what you're building your story and your relationships on. And those are the things that draw out the emotion and hit you in the spot that's real. Yeah. And, and that's the point, is that you are using art to emulate and touch on the real thing that makes you emote and feel something. And when you are just going for just like the, the shittiest <laughs> brand of love. And I mean, it's like if Valentine's Day, it's like the, the gross silk, lace trimmed, shitty chocolate, ginormous Valentine's box of just the waxiest, crappiest chocolate for Valentine's day. If someone gave that to me for Valentine's day, I'd be like, you, this is what you think love is. Like, I don't even need this. Like, just give me something real. That's, that's what I'm, that's the point is that I I think you have like, that's not, there's no real heart in it for me. That's, there's nothing believable or emotional about it. It's just trying to be it's robotic where, love and robotic where, where,
4: we, where we are. I, I just think we disagree on because all the things you're describing like it it, it hit for me
5: like. It Brad, and
3: that's wonderful.
5: Bradley, are your heartstrings pulled when you see Kevin Costner standing on the street in the rain, staring <laughs> up at her silhouette in the goddamn window as if we haven't seen that literally a million times in movies before. While the goddamn Disney strings play in the background,
3: <laughs> pulling up his fun. collar, they cut out the part where he pulled out a saxophone. They, Again, that, that, was, that was that was not
4: obvious. that was not the strongest scene. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's it's not flawless. It's not flawless. Um, but I know. I mean, at, at this point, like we're not gonna, you know, we're just gonna. This is the subjectivity of of the argument, right? It's like, yeah. So I I understand. Uh, I do think that. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has a 46 score from the critics, but a 75 from the audience. And so I do think this movie has broader appeal than people realize. I think that that the movie is more well-liked and appreciated than is often thought.
2: I think this movie has cable and MLB network appeal because you can catch... There's enough of this movie where if you can catch it at the right two to three commercial stretch, you can get some good stuff
4: and then go about your day. Right. I mean, I actually, I'll just briefly say that I actually uh, thought that Kelly Preston was fantastic and that, that I thought, I thought she did a, a good job in her, in the acting. I thought the character was likable just like I thought Kevin Costner was likable, but both of them had flaws, which I thought was part of what made, you know, their characters overall likable. Um, but I don't think, th- I, I mean, everyone bashes on Costner's acting and and her acting. Like, I don't think they're not, I don't, I mean, they're not, you know, master thespians method actors, but like, I think that they do a really good job in this, in this movie, um, but- Obviously, we're not going to get any headway on, on that argument. So I do want to play. Um, so this this clip I'm going to play from the movie, to me, like, I could accept all of the arguments you've made. And this clip alone basically makes the movie the greatest baseball movie all. Like, all the bad stuff is outweighed by this clip. So um, I'm bored. I'm very nervous about which clip you're going to show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just share my screen. Hold on. Okay.
3: You're doing this to us, aren't you?
0: Here we go. You make me
3: watch some of this again.
0: And you know, Steve, you get the feeling that Billy Chapel isn't pitching against left-handers. He isn't pitching against pinch hitters. He isn't pitching against the Yankees. He's pitching against time. He's pitching against the future, against age, and even when you think about his career against ending. And tonight, I think he might be able to use that aching old arm one more time to push the sun back up in the sky and give us one more day of summer.
4: Right there.
2: I mean, yeah, we just we just talked about that. You picked what the best that?
3: scene <laughs> in the movie. It's, it's like what, nine seconds long? <laughs>
2: It's it's a that is a beautiful beautiful like that you can stack that up with anything that's happened in any other baseball movie ever and it, and it 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 fits it is just you know th- this movie is good in glimpses and that's the best glimpse I feel like I like this movie less now after this. <laughs> <laughs>
5: to your point, to your point, that nine second scene was less than a quarter as long as Kevin Costner sniffing the perfume. (laughs) Uh.
3: (laughs) See, okay. There are so many scenes. That's the thing. Okay. Here, here, here's one interesting um, little side note is that I realized halfway through watching this that I had never actually finished it. And then I, I kind of took a little mental trip. Like when have I, I know I've seen this. When have I seen it? And I realized that I've never finished it. And then I recalled two times when I started it and I never made it past the halfway point. And one of those times is on a six hour airplane ride where there's nothing else to do. But I I picked something else because I made it halfway through and I couldn't finish it. But the the point being that I made it to like a certain point in the movie and then I paused it and I was like, well, how much of this is left? There's got to be maybe like a half hour. I'll go for you know, a walk and I'll come back. And I hit pause and I looked at the little time bar and I was like, there are 55 minutes left. Oh my God. Like, I mean, almost the length of an actual baseball game. Right. Um, But when I got to the end, one note I left for myself was that the movie could have been a normal length if they just would have like trimmed the scenes where Costner is staring into space (laughs) thinking but here's the thing you don't know what he's actually thinking about you just know he's smelling perfume and he's like he is he thinking of her or is he like is this white diamonds no this is chanel no it's white diamonds no it's chanel like he could have been thinking anything and and the moment when he's standing out there in the rain is that him is that her is the guy with her is she looking at and then it's like an extreme pixelated you know, Sony 5 megapixel, my grandma's digital camera view of Kelly Preston in the window with her eye frozen for like, not a quick glimpse. It's like nine seconds of Kelly Preston's eye looking between the curtains. It's like, where was the editor? They could have just, you, you. we got the point. We got the point. But then it just dragged. Also
4: the, uh, the other line, the cathedral that is Yankee Stadium belongs to a chapel. Chills. Um, Another Vin Scully line, but chill.
3: Great,
5: Vin Scully was unabashedly great in this movie.
2: Vin Scully was really good. Other facet,
3: and he's on social media now, so we can tell him. I
4: do. I do think that um, that again, if we're going to go back to the greatest argument, like if you go back and you were to watch Field of Dreams, like that movie, vastly overrated. Oh, Brad, you're on the wrong podcast, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: <laughs> you're on the wrong planet, sir. <laughs> if,
4: you, if you actually watch that object, you know, you, you try to you try to really analyze it. I think this movie, you know, bro, the perception is that it's not as good, but this movie is actually a, a better film than Field of Dreams.
2: Brad, I came here. I came here ready to be in your corner. I I came here to be be your mickey to you my rocky and i'm i'm standing in apollo's corner at this point
5: right right your defense of this movie is field of dreams is overrated <laughs> how does that work
2: field of dreams is fucking beautiful
3: this feels very political to me you know what i'm realizing in this and I, it may be because i've had like two full for nuts but i feel like I feel like Kyle is the undecided voter. Jason and I are like the full on progressive. And Brad is like, Brad, you have what a PhD. Like you're you you discovered species of insects like you are a very intelligent human. And you're you're you're.
2: But you've been watching too much OAN
3: that you definitely feel like that's the confusing thing. You really feel these things and you're putting out these really great points that when I hear you say them, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But wait, but wait, but wait, there is no, (laughs) this does not add up. And I feel like this is, um, I feel like this is like somewhat of a microcosm of the current political state that we're in, (laughs) where I feel so bewildered by your points. Like I want to melt onto the floor (laughs) <laughs> I am I am I'm so confused that <laughs> you could be you could have such conviction
4: at at the start at the top Kyle you were saying like the different rankings and like Hall of Fame all-star so let's have you guys give your ranking of this movie I mean before this started this was an all-star for me
2: I'm still going to say it's an all-star, but it's not a perennial all-star. I think this does, as someone who does a sports movie podcast, it does too good a job with baseball for me to not say that it's, a, it's an all-star. I still, I still will watch it when it's on. Jason, what about you? I, I have a guess.
5: A job baseball, but I'd rather just watch actual baseball, if, if that's the case. Um, before I, I give a, a rating, I would like to say, like, like I referenced before, I watched it with my wife, who did, cares nothing about baseball, but loves a good romance. Um, my 15-year-old daughter, who who cares nothing about baseball, but loves a good romance, and my 12-year-old baseball-obsessed son. My daughter walked out at the one hour and 12-minute mark. My baseball-obsessed son walked out at the one hour and 13-minute mark. And my wife, very grudgingly, out of love and respect for our relationship, stuck it out to the end. And her quote at the end was, I can't even give it a two that I even give it a one is for the scene where Costner is in his tidy whities.
2: Kevin Costner,
5: hot dude. Hot dude. Lucky. Hot dude. Um, beca- because I don't even appreciate him that much or in that way. I literally, I give it a one. I give it like a half. This, this movie made me angry.
2: We're going to call that a bench warmer. Anika,
3: what about you? Oh, bench warmer. 100%. Um, I, I have to say, okay. So, we, we fairly recently moved to Nashville and I was in the middle of writing my book when we moved here and then went through the whole rigmarole of like publicity and getting ready for my, my book tour and then the pandemic happened. So I, we haven't really, we are discovering local restaurants via takeout. So we're trying to be, you know, trying to support local spots, trying to try new stuff. It's been hit or miss, but we tried a place last night which I won't name, but if you log on to my, L- my Yelp, I'm sure you'll find, you'll find them bad reviews soon enough. We got uh, like, it, it was like a wood fire pizza place, very hipstery, whatever. Okay, $25 for a pizza that ended up being like the size of my two hands put together. $18 for an heirloom tomato salad that was honest to God, four slices of tomato with some basil leaves, not even kidding. To the point where I opened it, but this is like three quarters of the way through this movie and we bring this food home and I open it. And I'm like, I, I was, I was beside myself to the point where I, I, I made like an instant parallel between the two. And I started drafting a Yelp review for this restaurant saying that if this restaurant, if, if restaurants were baseball movies, <laughs> this restaurant is for love of the game. And here's why. And I wrote, I wrote the whole thing and I, I haven't posted it yet but it's going to be posted because it was so disappointing. It was like you cannot charge $18 for four slices of tomato, but I made all these parallels and they made perfect sense at the time and I'm sure they'll make sense again when I when I post it, but it was one of those days where it was just like constant disappointment and I feel like they could be interchangeable. Like if I had paid money to see that movie in a theater, I would have just been furious.
2: The $18 meal that was really bad that wasn't for Love of the Game. It was Trouble with the Curve because Trouble with the Curve has an Oscar winner in Clint Eastwood, a future Oscar winner in Amy Adams because she's going to get her due eventually. Uh, Justin Timberlake, very charismatic, has a very strong cast and it's the worst baseball movie of all time. So that was that. was that. Um, all right, I want to... Guys, I want to wrap this with, with something that might be a tall task for Anika and Jason. I want to hear how you guys would improve this movie. Jason, if someone came to you and I guess a time machine and said, you get one fix, one thing to make this movie for you. You said it's like a half a star or a bench warmer. How would you make it a starter?
5: I would hire a competent writer. <laughs> Ideally someone who spoke English, but not necessarily. Um, you know, as, as long as they were willing to really delve into, to, to true situations, I'd, that'd be fine.
2: Fair. And Nika. How would you improve this movie? You're
3: not gonna like this. I would. I would hire a different director. I thought that before Jason said that. I think he did a great job with some other stuff. I just, I, I think, um, that's it. I would hire a different director.
2: Me personally, I would cut the entire romantic subplot, and I would make this the. Uh, it would be the same format, but instead of cut scenes between him and Kelly Preston, it would just be more cut scenes kind of going through his career where you get more bought into this guy's career. I would get a throwback. If you could find someone who could be a young Costner, you know, holding up the Jersey at a draft press conference or something like that, I would get really bought into that. Cause again, that's, it's something just like everybody's all American where it's very, you know, it's, um, it's something we see in real life all the time is athletes struggling with aging and, to the, the big thing at the end of this movie is not him getting together with Kelly Preston and finally committing to that or whatever the hell that's going to be the biggest thing is him finally for the first time since he's been five saying I am not a baseball player anymore and that's a really scary thing that was a scary thing when I did it at 23 and I was a really shitty college player like imagine being an absolute legend and doing that so I, want, I would want to see that Brad it's been a tough hour you've you've been subject to some pretty cool would do you have any improvements for this movie what would you if you had to if you had to give like a a twitter a tweet length summary of this one or or pitch to this one why someone should watch this why they should care what is it
4: well i think actually the end of the movie the fact that they didn't you know, make it like, oh, you know that they're going to last forever is actually really good. Like, I like the, again, I like the uncertainty of, like, they they kind of have this moment of, again, finally letting their guards down, but you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, maybe there should be a sequel to this. <laughs> it's been, I'm just thinking they, they go back 20 years later, and now, the kid that the rookie kid that has the last at bat he's at the end of his career and now costner is like an old pitching coach and he's divorced from kelly preston and you could do a whole <laughs> different take on this movie in for love of the game too for more love of the game um,
3: Dumb and dumber
4: <laughs> uh, and i think well but i think the, to improve the original i think you would just need to uh cut i think you could cut like a good 25 minutes out, out of this movie i mean 2 hours 18 it could be like 150 155 and like the scenes that you guys like yeah we could we could get away with you know less long close ups on costner's face um but other than you know, other than that, I think I, I think that they they generally struck a good balance between the baseball and the romance, and that that pacing, although slow, you know, it was a good back and forth. So again, it 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 holds up. Uh, Twenty one years later, it's ready for a sequel. Uh, it's underrated. It's the best baseball in any baseball movie by far. Um, That I will agree with that.
2: Not maybe not the best. It is the best depiction of major league baseball. I I think that is
4: fair. After this episode, if you know what your what your listener feedback is uh, on this movie.
2: Everyone go hit up Brad at Wax Pack Book, I believe (laughs) that will be sent to him. Uh, Everyone, I appreciate you guys taking the time, dealing with with Brad's points on this. Brad, I appreciate you being able to lay out some some very wild theories about what makes this movie good. I'm going to have to go. I'm just going to be thinking a lot tonight about this. Uh, Jason, start with you.
5: Where can the folks follow you on social media? Where can they check out your book? I'm at Baseball Codes uh, and BaseballCodes.com. I blog regularly about the unwritten rules of baseball uh, and, and, and tweet as well. Um, books are, are wherever books are sold. Um, I've got They Bled Blue as well as Dynastic Bombastic Fantastic about the swinging A's of the 70s. And of course, The Baseball Codes about the unwritten rules. Uh, you can find They Bled Blue at the Pandemic Baseball Book Club website and the other two pretty much anywhere you would buy books otherwise.
4: Brad, what about you? Um, you can you can follow me at, at Book. I'm now starting to think about possibly the the idea for our podcast of trying to get maybe the writer or the, the person who adapted this movie onto our podcast so we can further explore the creative process behind For Love of the Game. And it'd be great to invite Anika and Jason on to discuss the merits of the writing
5: with the person that actually wrote it. So hopefully we can do that. And what what happens when you find out that, like, those are the dark days when he was drunk from morning till night and on his way to divorce? I did. Kyle, I was in the in the prep for today's show was thinking about,
4: like, could I do an entire podcast on this movie? Like with like 20 episodes.
2: I want to I want to shout out my buddy, Paul Francis Sullivan, who just wrapped a Bull Durham Minute. He did an episode for every minute of Bull Durham. Uh, congrats to him. But I, I don't know if this movie, I don't know if you could do all those minutes. Uh, Anika, where can the folks follow you on social media? Check out your book. Uh,
3: well, as Jason said, I think, I think, uh, the pandemic baseball book club website, pbbclub.com is a good place to acquire all of our books. Um, proceeds do support independent booksellers. If you want a signed copy, you can get it on my website if you'd like. Um, which is my name.com anikaorock.com. Um, I am on social media as Anika Draws, that's with the WLS. Um, and I, and I do want to say, I think that you, I think an episode involving the creative process of this would be great. I think a great person to include in that would be one of my heroes who doesn't even know I exist by the name of Ken Levine, Ken Levine, Ken Levine. He was the announcer for the Orioles, but he's also a, he was a television writer and wrote for... My personal favorite television show of all time, Cheers, but uh, he would have some good insight because he is very knowledgeable in baseball and writing for film and television. I'd really be curious to hear what he has to say about this.
2: Well, it sounds like there is much more debate to be had about this movie, and it somehow needs to be unpacked even more. These two hours and 18 minutes need to be had. I appreciate everyone coming on this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Monday, and make sure to check out all the podcasts on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Also, if you are a baseball fan and you are somehow still listening to this pod, this late in it, uh, check out my interview series from phenom to the farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. Next Tuesday, talking to former Royals all-star Billy Butler. That's a good one. Check into that. And uh, until then, we will catch you next Monday. Thanks for listening.